slay. I see the blood on the lead. They throwing hate at me. Want me to stay at ease. I'm king with your corporation. Young can't control me. I know that we the new slay. I know that we the new slay. I'm about to wow the hell out. I'm going Bobby Boucher. I know that mm-hmm ain't free. You mean with Muzzy ain't me. Y'all throwing contracts at me. You know that don't read. Throw up some Maybach keys. Say la I know that we the new slay. out the country so you can see where I stay so go and grab the report so I can smash hello and welcome to on resistance radio my name is anton this show topic will be on white supremacy do we want to go around maybe introduce ourselves this is apple hello everyone this is bobby cue ball present here all right cue ball and apple are super special super special guests <laughs> <laughs> So how do you guys experience white supremacy, like, in your daily lives? Um, does it, how does it uh, affect you, like, in the day-to-day? And feel free to, like, you know, think about it, too. I don't, I don't want to, like, just, you don't have to immediately answer or anything like that. I guess, it, for me at least, it would be how uh, people interact with me. Because I feel like, at least in my community, with other brown people, they assume I'm white. Or they speak to me in English when I know Spanish. And they certainly react to me in a different way where I don't necessarily associate with the other, but they associate it with me. And I have to respond in a certain way when they react to me that way. But beyond that, I don't know how uh, they necessarily perceive me beyond what they see and beyond what they know. I would say that white supremacy to me is everything. It's looking in the mirror and having to deconstruct white standards of beauty. It's understanding why people talk to me a certain way or treat me a certain way. It's understanding why I didn't get that job or why that car decided to continue to drive even though I was walking in the walk lane. Yeah. White supremacy and patriarchy pretty much control my life. (laughs) For me, it's like being stuck in some kind of weird limbo. I'm lighter skinned, so I feel like I benefit in that way, but I also have what people consider an ethnic name or a Mm. foreign name, or they can't pronounce it when they look at it. So I agree. I think it's how people interact with me or how I perceive the world. I agree. It's everything. It's every single thing. It's just invasive. When you know about it, then you see it everywhere. You see it in the way that people talk to you or in the way that you look at yourself. A lot of us have a lot of self-hate because we can't necessarily be in the club, Mm -hmm. but they want us to fight to be in the club. Right. And that's every minute, every second of every day. Yeah. I think the earliest I've experienced it was with my family and the internalized white supremacy that exists within brown communities. And as much as they feel like they should elevate white beauty standards above anything else and the way that it affects your family and the way they perceive you and as much as you're not as white as they want you to be you know so I think about that a lot because I feel like I'm left out of my family in as much as we're the browner people in my family not me specifically but I feel like everyone else around me in my family from my mom to my brother maybe my dad not so much but I kind of definitely feel ostracized from my family in as much as that and I don't feel as close to them because of those reasons you know And I think about it every time that I have to go to a holiday, kind of, because they do 
I don't know, you, you have these conversations with your parents growing up, you know, especially with my mom. I have a stronger connection with my mom than I do with my dad. And I definitely have had those conversations with her and the way that it affects us. And they don't necessarily get us get along with her as much as they probably could if she were lighter skinned, you know? So I think about that a lot and why I don't feel as connected to them. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with white supremacy and, and, and anti-darkness, at least in my family. I wanted to talk about how the family unit <coughs> reinforces not only capitalism, but white supremacy as well. I grew up in an immigrant family. My dad immigrated over here when he was in his 20s, and the way that he tried to raise us was through assimilating into white culture here in America. So we were told that we had to do really, really well in school, and you're a woman and you're Muslim, so you have to work that much harder, or you have to go to college, because if you don't go to college, you're never going to get a good job, you're going to struggle like I did, and, and that guilt is placed on you, and you don't want to let them down because they came here for a better life, but... It's just really hard to see the suffering of your parents wanting to succeed in this country, and they know that they're being discriminated against. They're not in the dark about that, but they don't have that same kind of understanding that it's not them. It's not something that they're doing wrong or they're not doing enough. It's just the nature of the society that we live in. Bobby? Yeah, it makes me think how assimilation is a survival tactic that you later end up feeling guilty about. And... I think that the way I like to look at white supremacy, there's white supremacy, and then white supremacy can't exist without anti-blackness, and then there's also anti-darkness. But even amongst those who are oppressed or anti-darkness, they still have anti-blackness. So even if you're a darker Indian person, you know, there's still anti-blackness amongst dark Indian people. And so there's this thing that when we talk about white supremacy, even if the Aryan race no longer existed, you're still going to have hierarchy of whiteness and of lighter shades that exist in other cultures that still has to be understood, still has to be talked about so that we can see how we perpetuate whiteness and white supremacy and how it's been internalized. I think when we think in America or anywhere, when they think of white supremacists, they think of bald-headed Nazis. And it's like, no, white supremacists are everyone. It's your neighbor, it's your parent, it's yourself. And it's important to understand that so that we can deconstruct these things so that we don't longer perpetuate that because I no longer want to be oppressed by it. Mm -hmm. Can I directly respond and also ask you a question? Yeah. I was talking to a white friend of mine and they have this idea in their head. In the future, everyone would be a mix of all cultures and that white people would just be integrated into that kind of mix. I don't really feel that way. I kind of feel like in the future that people would be much darker than they are now because there's more dark people in the world. Whiteness is recessive as a gene trait. So I just wanted to ask, how do you feel about that idea of white people feeling that in the post-white supremacist society that there will still be white people, basically? I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> There was a Time magazine or some national magazine cover of what the future would look like, and it was a mixed-race-looking person. And I feel like either way, whiteness is going to prevail. I'm still going to be oppressed because, for me, it's also like hair is really important. I don't have passing hair. I have 4C, kinky, nappy hair. And so I feel like that's important to also recognize because if you are a black and white mixed person, it's easier for you to assimilate in the society. You're not necessarily oppressed in the same way. You're not seen as the same sort of black. You're not held to the same standards of beauty. You still benefit. You're still seen as the same European standards of beauty. So even if in the future 
I'm still the end of the stick. <laughs> so we've been talking a little bit about assimilation, the assimilatory people that we meet in our lives, of people of color who participate in white supremacy for their own benefit. How does assimilation benefit people of color in a white supremacist society? Well, I mean, for me specifically, growing up in an immigrant uh, household and being undocumented myself and being lighter skinned has definitely benefited me where, you know, if I'm walking on the street, a cop isn't going to roll up on me and be like, hey, do you have your papers just because I'm lighter skinned, you know? And I feel if someone else was darker than I was or, yeah, if someone else was darker than I was, then I feel like that'd be a likelier case case if they were to be asked, you know? So I definitely have experienced it in that way. It's And specifically assimilating to the language, you know, knowing the language definitely helps. So I feel like I've definitely experienced that aspect of legalities, at least, or police enforcement, especially in immigrant communities. So I definitely feel that aspect of it. And it's not something that I can easily escape, but I've definitely benefited from that directly and as much as I am undocumented I don't have papers but yet I get to walk away like without having to think about these things as much as the next person beside me that might be darker than I am so I I think about that a lot and it's not something readily I can address personally but I've definitely have seen it in front of me a lot so I don't know that's just it's interesting to think about how you get to skate the law in as much as your skin is involved. Mm-hmm. For me, I used to wear weaves and my hair was lighter. And I realized life for me is completely different now that I don't wear weaves and now that I wear my hair natural. I get treated very differently versus if my hair is straight or if it's in a fro or if I wear bantu knots. Even when I go to protest with cops, when I wear my hair straight, cops are a lot more gentle with me. But when I have my fro, they don't give, and they're a lot more aggressive. And so choosing to wear my hair natural is a rejection of assimilation that I feel that I am punished for. I am punished for when I go to to try to work. I am punished for when I interact with people. And I see that directly, like, just how I'm treated differently and how I'm cared for less. And it's interesting because as Black women were punished for when we tried to assimilate, which really, again, is like a survival tactic. But then we're also punished again when we don't assimilate. So, I don't know. I feel like I knew that I was different at a very young age. I went to, like, religious school where most kids were, their parents came from the same country. Mine didn't. I'm mixed but I'm very light-skinned for being mixed. And that, I know, has benefited me my entire life. Ever since I stopped wearing the hijab, the headscarf, people don't really know where to place me. And because I'm light-skinned, I feel like people want to treat me like I'm white with not knowing like what I am. Or they'll just flat out ask, what are you? Which is dehumanizing in its own way. But... I don't know. I, I, it's hard because I, I benefit from being like skinned, of course, and I benefit for all the ways in which I assimilate into white supremacy. But like I said before, it's like this club that they want you to be in, but you can never really be in it. Right. I still have my name. My name is, is like people know that that's they can't pronounce my name. You know, it's that 
is like a dead giveaway. You know, when I submit a resume somewhere and someone can't pronounce my name, there's probably a good chance that I'm not getting that job, right? So I don't know. It's it's hard to know that other people are being treated worse than me for having darker skin and. I get rewarded for doing certain things because they want me to think that I can achieve membership in this club. And that's what they they want all people of color to think, that if they just assimilate and if they just do what they're told, if they just put their heads down, if they just smile and nod and push past all the feelings that you have, that it's not right, but it's all a lie. Yeah, going along with what Apple's saying, I feel like a, a part of assimilation and part of being light-skinned or light-passing is that you kind of get claimed, you know? You kind of, people of different countries that are brown or from whatever, I feel like sometimes they look at you, they might not know where you come from, but they want to claim you in some way. They want to say that, oh, you're from there, or they have these certain feelings about you already that you don't necessarily feel about yourself. And I feel like that's white supremacy at its core because they are uh, supplanting these ideas of beauty and et cetera on you. While you may not agree with them, they're still present and they're still there and they're still trying to claim you as one of their own and being part of the club, yet you're not in it. So that's interesting too when you think about it. It's Bobby? also interesting to see how like people of like your same race like react to your assimilation. Like... For me, growing up in, like, a predominantly like, white and Asian community, like, I feel like I got a lot of, you know, I'm still punished for that. You know, I'm still not seen as black enough because I didn't grow up in a designated given black area. And so it's interesting how, like, assimilation is used as a way to try to perpetuate and make you feel self-hate, mm. Right. And that I feel like that's a tactic of white supremacy because, yeah, you can't be in the club, but we want you to try to be in the club because you need to be in the club to be able to survive in the society. And, you know, and we're going to we're going to blame you for trying to do that. We're going to blame you for trying to survive. And it creates a conflict amongst each other. And, you know, it's sad. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, knowing that, like, this isn't my home. Like, I may have been born here, but, like, this is not where my parents come from, you know? Like, I just happened to be born here, and my parents were told that if they came here, you know, they would have a better life, and that's not true. My dad wants to go back. He, like, is tired. He's tired of it. That really sucks to, like, see your parents struggle the entire time they're here for decades. Yeah, and it's not permanent. There's no permanence if you're a person of color in the society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you have to. Then you get you get tired. You have to leave. And if you're black, you don't even have a home. Like I, I guess, I get to guess where I'm from. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Where's our reparations? Reparations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk about tactics, and one of the tactics I feel of white supremacy is appropriation. White supremacists appropriate the things that they like about a certain culture in order to basically lay, what you're saying, lay claim to this concept or this idea. And now white people did that idea. No matter what happened before, no matter what the real story was. One of the things that I'm experiencing right now is that Latinos, Latino is white now. If you're from one of the ethnic groups from originating from South America, you mark white in your ethnicity now. Or Hispanic. White slash Hispanic, right? right? Yeah. That's what it says. And a Reagan term. Within that white within that whiteness as well, they're now lump all sorts of things in there that weren't previously white before. Middle and like Eastern. 
And even the concept of whiteness was something that was created when America was founded in order to unite certain people who were already against each other. People didn't like the Irish people. People didn't like Eastern European people. So I just wanted to ask how you guys define appropriation. Well, I mean, everything (laughs) is just like stolen. You know, I just thought of T.I., what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing, T.I.? <laughs> I just saw some Iggy Azalea T.I. music video, and it's just like, you know, you're like, you I know you need money. Times are hard, but like, come on. Like, do a track with Nikki or something, you right? know? But like, it's just like, it's like, it's scary. It's scary. They just take everything. They're like, lo- like locusts, you know, just like feed off. And like, because, and you just look at like rock and like classical music and everything like that was black, you know, and it was stolen from us. And now, you know, people don't associate like black people as like creating rock and the same they're trying to do with rap, but you can't do it because we have the internet and like, (laughs) and you know, and you just see these like white girls trying to wear braids and it's like, I, I got made fun of for wearing braids and it's like, no, you're trying to wear braids and it's a protective hairstyle and what are you trying to protect? And it's like, (laughs) it's just, they just take everything. They just take everything. Yeah, I just want to camera that point home. The stuff that a lot of white folks get celebrated for, anywhere from music, clothing styles, hairstyles, all that stuff was invented by people of color. And people of color are punished and made fun of and discriminated against and criminalized for all of those things. White girls are wearing bindis Mm. on their heads and... Also, everything, all of it, wearing headscarves, wearing bindis, wearing dreads, right. wearing whatever they want. And it, to them, it's just a fashion style. You know, to them, it's just a costume that could, they can take off at the end of the day, you know. But, like, we can't take off our culture. We can't take off where we came from. And we can't take off those memories of being made fun of as, as kids, you know, for being, like, the only ethnic people <laughs> in the room. I was the, like, token Muslim girl my entire life. I always have been. I've been the only Middle Eastern person, like, in the room pretty much my entire life. And, well, there's a fine line between being interested in the culture, wanting to take it, claim it as your own, and act like you, 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 like, discovered. You can't discover this. Like, we've been doing this for for centuries. Katy Perry. To quote Spike Lee. Oh, nice. I didn't think about that. We've yeah, been here. It is. It's, it's, that, it's exactly what he's talking about. That Columbus syndrome. That's exactly Columbus what it is. Columbus syndrome. Yeah. You can't discover, discover this. this. <laughs> Where are you coming from? Like, on a boat? Christopher Columbus? The police are white supremacists. Yes. yes? How so? Most of them are white. (laughs) Well, and they started, I mean, they were slave catchers, you know? Like, look at those badges. They're the same. Like, that's their job. Like, their job is to profile. Their job is to to arrest, like, brown and black people. That's what they're supposed to do. Overseer, officer. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Yeah. This whole country is basic. (laughs) (laughs) It was built by basics. It's a basic system. And... So, how do we get rid of this thing? How do we abolish white supremacy? How do we take the knife and. (laughs) I was going to say burn it all down. Burn it all down. That's a pretty good idea. (laughs) The thing about white supremacy and racism is that people think that it's just an individual thing as well, and they just 
the way that people perceive racism is just overt individual instances of racism perpetuated onto other people without recognizing that it's actually built into our institutions as well. We were talking about, you know, how hard it is to get a job, how hard it how hard it is to look in the mirror, how hard it is to be forced to conform and assimilate and speak this language that we're speaking right now, you know, and all those are institutions, the police, all of these are institutions that are white supremacists. So it's not people that we're fighting against, you know, we're fighting against an entire like hegemonic institution of white supremacy. I'm interested in hearing how we can (laughs) abolish it (laughs) besides burning it all down. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like by you know, like, acknowledging that it exists, you know, within ourselves and then, you know, understanding, like, white supremacy, anti-blackness and anti-darkness and just, like, really deconstructing, you know what I mean? I feel like that's what it always comes back to is, like, really kind of, like, breaking things down and, like, you know, um, and by doing those things and looking at it, like, I don't know, even just, like, when I'm on Tumblr... If I see a Tumblr post and it's just all white people, you know, like all the pictures of white people, I'll reblog and be like, why is this all white? You know, and just like to break the norm of like white as norm, you know, that and burn it all down. And yeah. For me, it also is hard to talk to people, too. I mean, obviously, it's it's hard to talk to white people like specifically. I'm pretty scared of white people and, and what they can do. I think one thing that I feel like people who are listening to this can get from me is that if you are a white person and you are doing nothing to educate yourself on the impact that you make and the greater white supremacist society that you live in, then you are only helping the white supremacist power structures maintain themselves. And I don't think, pay Tim Wise yeah. $9,000 <laughs> to educate you on To it educate either. you, yeah, to tell <laughs> you about your white privilege. Pay me! Or don't pay anyone, or yeah. fuck money. Like, decide that money isn't worth it, you know? Okay. Decide that the people who make money off of these things are only white people. The, the, money, right. the people yeah. who make money off of any industry that you work in are white people. So if you participate in those, you are only benefiting white supremacy you are an assimilatory brown person or black person and you have internalized anti-blackness, then you can perpetuate white supremacy. You can like, reconstruct those values long after they've been deconstructed in whatever community that you're a part of. And just, yeah, I mean, I can just share. One of the reasons that I feel like I will never trust white people is because, yeah, there's like videos on YouTube that white people watch that are about how to braid your hair like in the culturally <laughs> appropriate way. That white people watch videos of other white people showing them <laughs> how to do it to their hair how to do, how to wear a bindi like how to wear a bindi that's a good example right or how to wrap your head you know how to wear head wraps like white people teaching other white people to appropriate culture yoga videos one of the yoga <laughs> I was watching the like bell hooks discussion that they had on like uh, black bodies and stuff and like I don't know, just one thing, like, it was a good discussion, but, like, there was no one that was, like, darker skinned than me that was on the panel. So I just thought that was interesting. And I was also just bothered by the fact that, like, Bell Hooks called, like, Beyonce a terrorist because I feel like the terrorist is, like, white supremacy. And it's so quickly for, like, uh, for society to blame, like, you know, the non-white for, like, what their oppressor is doing. And because this all is, like, institutional things, you know, it's, like, I think that it's important when we look at, you know, how people assimilate or what people are doing that, like, it always goes back to the institution. It always goes to white people. And so, like, you know, we should hold each other accountable and we should be critical. But, like, don't also, like, don't let the white people get a pass on what they're doing. Well, I mean, overall, 
question and be critical and never stop doing that. Because as soon as you feel comfortable, I feel like you get caught in the trap. Most people feel like they're comfortable and they, they get to these moments of their life where they're like, well, I think I've done enough. Mm. You've never done enough. No one will ever do enough to supplant these ideas and get rid of them. As soon as you start thinking that you're okay, that's when you fall into the trap and you're, yeah. you're back right in it. Mm-hmm. It's like going to take us a lifetime to deconstruct white supremacy. <laughs> I will so die and th- white supremacy right. will still be a thing. So why would you think that it wouldn't take you the same amount of time? Yeah. Time's yeah. that by 10. <laughs> <laughs> and that's me being nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's me, yeah, that's me being optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have it in you. white people teaching other white people about privilege are giving each other awards for not being racist this is a real thing yeah (laughs) and well that's that's the thing too white people are more likely to listen to other white people when they speak about racism and white supremacy well you know we've we've been saying these things (laughs) you know it's not it's not some new thing that people are just starting. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if it's like learning a new word and they just <laughs> see it everywhere, or are people actually talking about these things more because the language is being put out into the mainstream? But it's definitely not new. No, it's like the. <laughs> I guess the real Piper spoke at like a congressional hearing about like women in prisons, and they were like, "Oh my gosh!" And it's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like you know, Angela Davis talking about like you know like how prisons and like how people are treated wasn't enough you had a way to like this white woman how to talk about her experience like mm-hmm. to listen it's like white splaining white splaining yeah. angela right. davis has called for prison abolition as well right yeah so it is to the like sort of radical ideas mm. being pushed to the side and of course radical ideas are these ideas that are you know originate in people in communities right. of color and like black communities well you know? we wonder why you yeah. know yeah, yeah. who are the most oppressed right exactly it's not theory for us yeah. it's life right <laughs> and on that note, thank you guys for listening again. Um, don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and also follow us on our website, onresistanceradio.tumblr.com. Do you guys want to say goodbye? Peace Bye. out. Bye. Bye. See you later. Check us out. We'll be back next week, same I'm sorry time, 1.30. So oh. Baptized when the legend broke.